Right, fired up. Deep breath, let's get after it. I think this is gonna give us a good buffer here. We're just gonna go like hell. And four, engage the go like hell. Bumper, 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 go that door. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good right now. Go, go, go. All you got now. Oh, he just wrecked us. Just you and him, bud. I'm all hard. Still there. Quarter. Clear. Clear all the way by half. No runs coming. Man, see better. Good morning, race fans. It is Tuesday, March 16th, 2021, and you are tuned in to Hard Charging. My name is Mike Bachman, and today is episode five of this NASCAR podcast, and we are dropping the hammer every Tuesday during the NASCAR season. On today's episode, we're breaking down the Instacart 500 from Phoenix Raceway. Martin Truex Jr. became our fifth different winner in 2021, and though this win may not seem that significant in the grand scheme of things, I think this has a deeper meaning for MTJ. We will discuss that, and we are also welcoming our first guest to this podcast, a fellow NASCAR content creator, Mr. Noah C. Cor Cornelius. We have a lot to discuss on today's episode, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's fire the engines. A couple of housekeeping notes, as always, before we start this episode. We have the YouTube channel, which is up and running. We have exclusive content up there, podcast segments, you know the drill. Head over there, subscribe to that channel. Let's get that to 50 subscribers. And we are also on social media. You can connect with me on Twitter as well as the show on TikTok. All of those links will be in the description of this episode and every episode of the Hard Charging Podcast. So be sure to connect with me. We're talking NASCAR on the daily on social media. And we got some extra content coming out for you guys. So I hope that you will check those out. And of course, we are here every Tuesday during the 2021 NASCAR season if you are listening to this podcast. So Today, we're actually starting with our first guest on the podcast, and I got to be honest, man, I uh, really couldn't have thought of a better guest to have on the first uh, the first guest on the show. I've been following this guy, Noah C. Cornelius, on Twitter for the past year, his journey in NASCAR, and now coming off of a new partnership with his podcast, Noah Talks NASCAR, and the newly uh, developed Out of the Groove Podcast Network. Let's bring him in right here. Noah C. Cornelius, the host, editor, producer of Noah Talks NASCAR, joins Hard Charge. And Noah, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Oh, my goodness. And thank you, man, for having me on the show. It's always nice to, to be able to come on the shows and talk rather than be the one talking with my guests so yeah man i'm thank i think you summed it up pretty well i mean my journey in nascar has really just happened so fast and it hasn't even been a year yet so yeah i mean let's get into that a little bit shall we absolutely and just before we started uh we were uh, talking a little bit about the race we will get into a little race recap uh later on in this interview but i do want to start here uh with your story noah because you have really jumped on the scene in nascar uh really really quick and you have had immediate success with success with your podcast uh, and I want to kind of get that story. So why don't you just uh, just broadly describe your journey in becoming a NASCAR fan? Because I understand you were kind of in and out of the sport, came back. Uh, so kind of describe that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm a North Carolina boy, born and raised. Um, I mean, when you're in North Carolina, there ain't really much else to do except maybe watch like football, the Panthers or the Hornets with the basketball games and stuff like that. But growing up, that didn't really appeal to me after i watched the movie cars as like a six-year-old boy i love i started realized that i love things that go fast and realizing that i was in north carolina there were some people around me that also loved nascar so in the third grade i had a childhood best friend 
He, his name was Robert. He loved Carl Edwards. I have him up on my wall. And we spent like a solid three years being diehard NASCAR fanboys. But then Robert moved schools and I kind of matured and realized my racial identity. And then I kind of looked into NASCAR a little bit and I was like, why am I supporting this? Because of all the, the, um, the controversial history surrounding NASCAR. So I was like, I should not be supporting this. And so I backed out the sport and I kind of had this hate relationship. Like I hate NASCAR. It's only for Southern white rednecks. And, and, and I guess in a way I kind of fell for that fake stigma that so many people fall for. But after Bubba Wallace came on the scene and not only did I realize he was black, he was also biracial, just like me. I'm also half white, half black. So he came onto the scene and it kind of was like a realization moment. I'm like, whoa, he's kind of living out this dream that I had as a kid to be a driver someday. And I realized instead of going with the stigma around NASCAR, maybe I should do my own research. And I realized that NASCAR as an organization is doing so much to try and bring this sport into the new era. So I was like, hey, I appreciate that. So Bubba Wallace kept doing his thing and I kept following along on his journey. And then in 2020, when everything came to a head, I was like, let's do this. And then further down the line, I was like, I love talking about NASCAR. So how about I make a show? And I got some connections and they were like, we'll fund the show for you from day one. Just talk about NASCAR and do what you love. So here I am. Yeah, that's great. And I guess, was there ever a moment, uh, I guess, in that journey, even before Bubba Wallace, uh, where you maybe wanted to give the sport a chance, but you kind of had second thoughts or was the ultimate uh, was the ultimate kind of realization was Bubba Wallace and seeing the sport kind of enter this new era, new generation of fans. Uh, we see their new targets uh, for demographics. Uh, so was there anything before that or it was ultimately Bubba Wallace? You know, that's a hard question. I never really realized that because Carl, because even when I got out of the sport, I still knew that Carl Edwards was in it. So at sometimes I would tune into a race and I didn't really feel a connection to it. So I kind of, there were times where I wanted to get back into it, but I think I was still stuck on like, what is NASCAR doing to make it more um, acceptable and more diverse for people like me. And during the times that I got back to the sport, it just wasn't quite there yet. So I guess I could, I guess Bubba Wallace really was that driving force. And it's not just a driving force for me. It's a driving force for a lot of people, but yeah, I mean, seeing someone that looks like you in a sport that is known for, you know, being what it is, that's kind of a huge driving force. So I'd say that Bubba Wallace was my inspiration to get back into the sport. And you prioritize uh, diversity and inclusion with your podcast, Noah Talks NASCAR. So Absolutely. describe your vision with this podcast. And I've, as I've said, you've had immediate success, uh, even with the early launch of this. So where, what do you attribute all of that success to? And what is your vision with Noah Talks NASCAR? Um, you know, part of that answer, part of that answer, part of that question is hard for me to answer because to be honest, I, there's, I can't explain some part of it. Like we've seen so many NASCAR podcasts come and go, and we've seen some last for like 15, 20 years and they barely get off the ground. And it's like, what makes me different that these other podcasts don't get off the ground? There are people that have been in the sport for longer than me. There are people that have actually been to NASCAR races. I've never even been to a race and I live 30 minutes outside of the track, but that's a whole nother discussion. I mean, we've seen people, we, there are so many passionate people around the community and there are days where I sit and I'm like, how did I get this success so quickly? This, remember the show only started January 1st of this year. And I've already got like, and I don't, and I want to seem like I'm bragging. I got like sponsorship deals. I got people saying, keep going. I got people hitting me up to come on the show. I'm like, whoa. And I guess 
mean, I guess it's probably because a, I'm a diehard NASCAR fan. B, I try to present the show in the best way that I can. And C, I don't want to, I can't say this 100%. I think I might be the only solely black owned NASCAR podcast right now. And I think people want to hop on that boat, which, you know, I mean, all power to them, but I mean, I don't want to be known as just the token black NASCAR podcast. I want to be known as a diehard NASCAR fan who's also black and wants to have the sport be diverse and really meant for all, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, like I said, I've been watching you on social media. I see you on Twitter every day engaging with the fans. And I mean, your positivity, your energy is absolutely contagious and it's, it's infectious. I mean, even right now, uh, <laughs> you know, having, having not having known you for, you know, the better part of five minutes and oh. just how comfortable, how comfortable conversation is with you really uh, is incredible. And, you know, that strong presence on social media, I think can be attributed to that success and growth of your podcast. So, you know, this community, this Noah talks NASCAR community, you know, tell me the importance of really engaging with those fans on Twitter every single day. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it's really hard to get a following on Twitter. It really, really hard. It's not like TikTok where there's like, like 800 million users. So that like, there's going to be like 20,000 people that see you at one point. No, this is Twitter. And it's, it's really hard to get your tweets off the ground. There are so many tweets that go viral, but it seems like none really get on your page. So you think, oh, you know, you're not really going to get big on this app. So, but I mean, I, I guess I should say the importance of having community on Twitter is that it helps, it helps me know it, it helps me in getting my show off the ground and figuring out what people want to listen to and what people want to hear. And I'd also say that I'm just thankful for having this community because again, it's really hard to get a following on Twitter. And I've seen so many podcasts try to get a following on Twitter and their account just straight up dies or stalls. And it's like, how do you get it back up off the ground? And Again, I mean, I guess I've been able to get a following because I'm energetic, I'm positive, I'm authentic, I'm real, I'm not going to sell out, I'm still going to be me. People told me in the industry, they were like, Noah, we love your show, but if I could give you one recommendation, no matter what happens, do not change who you are because who you are right now is perfect for the sport. You're diehard, you're authentic and real, and you're a person of color, and you can help usher in new fans that they have someone that they can see and identify with, so. Absolutely. And you really embody that, I believe. And, you know, all of that now coming to a head, you have recently saw, uh, have been signed to the all new Out of the Groove podcast network. And now I want to ask you, what does this partnership mean to you? And more specifically, uh, how impactful has Eric Eastep, one of the greatest, if not right now, yeah. uh, the most influential NASCAR content creator out there? How has he uh, been in, you know, your journey uh, as a NASCAR content creator yourself? You know, I'm still kind of coming down from cloud nine. Um, you know, when I first got back into NASCAR like three years ago, Eric was one of the first people that I watched. Like I would tune into his like daily NASCAR episodes. And at one point I kind of got out of it because I had to go back to college. But I, 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 even from three years ago, I've always respected Eric, even though I haven't been an everyday watcher of the show. I've respected what that whole posse of NASCAR weekly podcast guys does too. We can't, cause you know, even though it is Erica steps network, got to give credit where credit is due to Darian and Danny B talks and Jared Lumberg. But if you're talking about Eric specifically, Eric has just been such a mentor to me in this short amount of time. I've been able to text him. He's like, Hey, what equipment do you use? And he sends me like tips and tricks about 
equipment that I use. And I'm like, Hey, so how do I get bigger guests on the show? He's like, just keep making connections. And he gives me like all these advice and I'm not trying to abuse the relationship. I'm not trying to say like, Oh, you know, give me all this contact information now, you know, I mean, cause I'm still trying to get to know the guy, but as of right now, Eric has just been incredibly helpful, incredibly motivating to me. And not just Eric too. I got to thank all the people that help out of the group podcast network run. I got to thank Josh and, Oh shoot. I forgot the other guys. Now I think Aiden and all the other people at the out of the groove network that help with all aspects of the show. Cause they've all been absolutely amazing in helping my show get off the ground and fostering this relationship and partnership with my show. Absolutely. And that show is only going to continue to grow. I believe as the 2021 season and beyond uh, as we get into uh, the meat of the season here, but no, before we get into a race recap, uh, I really want to just ask you uh, a main question i'm going to ask this to all my interview guests because the hard charging brand you know it's all about embodying the nascar mentality and embodying the community and you know this mentality of living life in the fast lane and you know living Uh your best life and invoking positivity and obviously you are incredible at doing that but i just want to ask in a general sense what does nascar mean to you and how are you planning on making the sport and what it values part of your future so NASCAR, what it means to me, it's kind of hard to quantify that because there's so many aspects to NASCAR that I appreciate. But I guess if we're talking about NASCAR as a whole, it's just a place that brings so many people together, no matter your skin color, your sexual origin or identification or any of that stuff. Like anybody can sit down and enjoy a car going fast around a racetrack. And that's what it should be at its core. It's, it should just be cars going around a racetrack, not politics not identity, not, not this and that, just you go to a race, you sit down and you watch it as a form of entertainment. And regarding NASCAR as my future, I actually transferred from my music performance college. Um, I literally dropped my whole career because I got to talk to Tim Clark, who is the senior vice president of digital communications over at NASCAR huge guy, um, huge in helping me figure out what I want to do with my life. He basically told me, He was like, Noah, what are you doing right now? And I said, I'm doing a music performance degree. And he's like, stop. Let me tell you right now. We're not going to hire you with a music performance degree. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah. So I, I kind of, I just dropped music because I realized that's not really what I wanted to do. And then I realized NASCAR became a possibility because, and this has always been my thing for me. I know I'm going a little bit over, but this has always been my thing for me. Whenever you turn on NASCAR race hub or NASCAR America, What's one thing that's missing? And in my head, it's diversity. I mean, I love Larry Mack. I love um, Jamie McMurray. And I love Shannon Spake. I love all of them. But they're all white people, which is not a bad thing. I view it as an opportunity for growth and change. If you get someone like me on camera, that's a diehard NASCAR fan. So when people turn on the TV before race and they see a diverse crowd of people, they're really going to buy into and believe and realize that NASCAR is a place for all. So I'm going to Appalachian State and I'm going to get my communications degree and I'm going to do as many internships as I can. I want my face to be known. I want people to know that I'm about this sport and I'm not just here to be the token black guy. I love NASCAR and I want to be that face that people can identify with on TV. So. 
That's a great story, Noah. And I got to tell you, you have a great work ethic, incredible attitude, and we wish you nothing but success in the future. But we're not done yet because we literally just got done watching the race from Phoenix International Raceway this past weekend. And it was Martin Truex Jr., my hometown boy as a New Jerseyan, uh, getting the win and fifth winner this year and finally debunking the trend of, I would call it maybe surprising winners, but nonetheless, a strong showing for MTJ and James Small. Uh, What were your impressions of this race from Phoenix? So first off, I want to say hats off to Martin Truex Jr. He's a team off-axis athlete, a.k.a. I work at off-axis paint. We design his helmets and we paint his helmets. And Martin Truex Jr. is just a fantastic racer, just a very technical racer. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to drive a car. So hats off to him. He's very talented. Always nice to see one of our athletes win. But I'm a Bubba Wallace fan. And no, not just because he's black. I actually really like the guy for personal reasons. Um, I wasn't happy. I'm just going to keep it real. Like, usually I'm like, hey, good run. We can build on this and go to next week. I'm not satisfied this week. And here's why. We had a top 10, maybe even the top five car. And, you know, early on we had a collision with Ryan Newman a little bit. I and that, That's a racing deal. I get that. But when a caution happens and you're running around the top 10 area, and all the leaders, the fast cars, like the fastest cars go into pit and you decide to stay out. You're not going to you're not going to beat those guys. And we saw that immediately as soon as it happened. Bubba Wallace, Joey Logano. I don't know how many laps there were to go, but as soon as they shot off the line, Logano and Bubba made contact and Bubba just slid backwards. And it, and it looked like I, it looked like I was watching a back marker team try and get a top 10 stage finish when it's the last stage of the race and you could actually finish with a good position and shut up all the haters. And I love 2311 racing, obviously, 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 but I'm not satisfied with that because that was a bad call. And this is a new team. They're going to have kinks to work out, but I'm not satisfied with today's thing. So go to next week's race and kill it over there. But as for this week, not satisfied, build on it do better next week, but I'm not happy about this week in the situs. So. Yeah. I've been very tough on 2311 racing early on because, you know, there is a lot of expectation for this team and rightly so with the Michael Jordan brand, the abundance of sponsorship, and obviously the story with Bubba with Bubba Uh Wallace, I'm really rooting for this team. And, you know, we want to see this team run up front. And today we were finally really able to get a sense of what this team is capable of in putting together a full race. Unfortunately, things at the end, uh, the missed call there at the during the caution, which I 100% wholeheartedly agree with you, uh, even with seven laps on those tires, you know, might not seem like that much, but you it's know, a lot. slid back, slid like back. that, yeah, exactly. And when you have a train full of drivers that head down pit road, you're a sitting duck there on the restart. So unfortunately, only able to salvage uh, around a top 15, top 20 finish, uh, but definitely encouraging to see this team uh, with a stronger run, and hopefully they can carry some of that momentum into next week as well. Yeah, and. I- I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer. I don't want to sound like I'm giving up on the Bubba Wallace hype train already. It's just little calls like that. They remind me of the days when he was at Richard Petty Motorsports. And when you're at Richard Petty Motorsports, you make gutsy calls because you don't really have the equipment to contend for a win. I don't care what anybody says about Eric Jones, love Eric Jones, but it's still Richard Petty. That's, that's all I'm going to say. But we, now we're at 2311. This is supposed to be the fifth Joe Gibbs car. I don't care what NASCAR rules say it's, the fifth Joe Gibbs car that's good equipment you can't be making uh, you can't be making gutsy calls like this when you have good equipment you gotta you gotta stay safe for the most part and I get in some cases I get it 
you got to make a gutsy call every now and then. If it pays off, it pays off, but it didn't pay off. And when it doesn't pay off, it doesn't pay off. So, I mean, hey, I we had a good card today. I will give them that, but I'm still not satisfied knowing what we could have had. So let's go on to next week and see what happens, you know? Definitely. Another strong showing as well for Team Penske, uh, Team Gibbs, as well as Team Hendrick. A very similar story from uh, last weekend. But I want to look at Hendrick specifically because another strong yeah, sure. showing for Kyle Larson. I mean, didn't even – I mean, it really – if you tune into the race, I mean, you probably wouldn't even have known that Kyle Larson had to fight his way back in from, from the field three separate times because it just felt like he was in the top 10 all day. And William Byron as well, Chase Elliott able to salvage a top 10 from a pit road penalty. So a lot of guys, uh, especially Hendrick Motorsports there up at the top, is Hendrick Motorsports officially back? Yes. Yes, abs. And um, I'm not really a big Hendrick fan, but I'll, I'll, I will give credit where credit is due. I was one of the people that said that William Byron was going to have an awful year and he was going to be out of the ride by the end of this year. I was one of the guys, right? I said, like, ah, Bowman might get one win and then that's it. Bounce out of the rounds to 16. I said Kyle Larson would go winless. And I said Chase Elliott would be Chase Elliott. No way. I, I, <laughs> not in a million years did I think that Kyle Larson would win especially before Bubba Wallace. I didn't think that William Byron would win, especially before Bubba Wallace. I didn't think that Alex Bowman was going to have a strong showing. I'll give credit where credit is due. He's had a strong showing. And I, I knew that Chase Elliott was going to be Chase Elliott, but that whole team, yes, I'm buying into the Hendrick Motorsports hype. I think, and this is my hardest take, I think that all four of those cars will be in the playoffs. And I hate calling it the playoffs because cars don't play. Let's call it the chase. I think all four cars will be in the chase, but that's another story. I I definitely do think that Hendrick is back, baby. We saw a strong showing from drivers, uh, Eric Almarola and some of those other guys, Matt Benedetto in there as well. These guys really need to rack up some stage points. I saw, I believe on Fox, they said, uh, both 20, Almarola and De Benedetto need to win an average of about 29, 29 points, points yeah. 29 points a race to be able to get their get their ticket into the playoffs. Absolutely. You think yeah. these guys are going to be able to be to be able to punch their ticket into the playoffs based on the hole that they've dug themselves in early on? This might piss off a lot of viewers, but no. And here's why I said last year. I realized I was like, how is this Stuart Haas racing team doing? Because you had Clint Boyer. Um, Custer, Hendrick, and Almarola all in the playoffs. So that's four of the cards in the playoffs last year. But I looked deeper and I was like, Hen- um, Har- Harvick is the only one that's really championship contending. Now, Boyer, he did have an extremely strong run on his forgettable retirement tour because Jimmy Johnson was taking the whole spotlight away. But um, the other two drivers, Custer's a rookie. Okay, yeah, Custer's a rookie. He's going to need some time. But Almarola has been in that ride for I don't know how many years now. And Smithfield and that sponsorship has carried him because he uh, he's had like one win in the past. I don't know how many years he's not really been that second guy to Kevin Harvick that they need. He's only really been here because of sponsorship. And again, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm hard on every single NASCAR driver, but I'm just saying how I see it. I think Almirola will be out of the ride at the end of the season. Smithfield has already pulled out of some races. He didn't even have Smithfield on his card. He had pit boss. Like they're kind of seeing like, Hey, we want a winner. And Almirola is not winning. I said last year that Almirola would be out of the ride. And it's looking like Almirola is slipping a little bit. And I don't want to, and I don't want to see that. I love, obviously I like Almirola as a person, but they need, I think they need to move on from him. And 
Matt Benedetto is a sad story because I love Matt Benedetto, but clearly there's some psychological stuff going on because they already announced that Austin Sindrick would have that ride. When you're a driver and you know in your head that no matter what happens this season, Austin, and technically he, he probably would have been out of that ride last year had it not been for that massive fan who were like, like the massive fan response who said, keep the Benedetto in that car. And some of that was motivated off of the very devastating Talladega loss. But no, I mean, there's some psychological stuff going on with Matt Benedetto. It's obvious the way he's driving. It seems like he's being internally clouded and affected by Austin Sendrick coming onto the team. I feel like the team is already looking towards Austin Sendrick. I feel like everybody's giving up on him. And it's sad because Matt can drive, but I don't think either of them are going to punch their ticket, man. And it's sad to see. It really is. Yeah, it's been a shocking start to say the least, but an incredible start to the 2021 season has definitely lived up to expectations. So we look forward to the remainder of the season. And Noah, before we let you go, why don't you just tell everyone where they could find you on social media, where they could find your podcast. Absolutely. So Noah Talks NASCAR is the name of my show. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and you can find me on Twitter at Noah C. Cornelius. That's Noah C-C-O-R-N-E-L-I-U-S. DM me. My DMs are always open. I love talking to people. And if for whatever reason, my, my podcast is not on wherever you get your podcast fixed, again, hit me up on Twitter and I'll make sure it goes where you need it to go. But yeah, guys, we got some big plans in store for Noah Talks NASCAR. Got some huge guests coming down the line. And again, we already had some huge announcements and it's to the moon from here, baby, to the freaking moon. So subscribe now if you're not already. Love it, Noah. Well, look, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your insight. And as always, we will uh, look forward to chatting with you later down the line. Wishing you all the best this season with your podcast and with your new partnership with the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. Great talking to you, buddy. And we appreciate the time. Thank you so much, man. Love what you're doing. Love the hard charging podcast, man. I'll see you around. Appreciate you, brother. Great stuff right there from Noah C. Cornelius. We really appreciate the time and definitely go check his stuff out. Does a phenomenal job of highlighting diversity and inclusion in NASCAR. So definitely go show his content some love. And with that said, I would now want to go into a deeper race recap from this past weekend at Phoenix. And I want to backtrack just a sec and discuss some of the pre-race stories that I was focused on heading into Sunday. And the first is just being that this is Phoenix Raceway. This is where the championship event is being held. So we were going to get a pretty good indication as to who some of the big boys could possibly be come November if they are in that position uh, running for the championship in the championship four. So I think a lot of drivers and crew chiefs were really going to focus on you know, the research and the information that they were gathering in order to prepare themselves for Phoenix in November if that opportunity presents itself. I was also looking at Hendrick Motorsports. One of the biggest stories in the pre-race was the fact that three Hendrick Motorsports boys were starting in the back of the pack. William Byron, Chase Elliott, and Kyle Larson. Alex Bowman, the only outlier. So we've seen this team on an early season high. And I mean, hell, last time Chase Elliott started at the back of Phoenix, he went on to win the damn championship. So you can't count Hendrick Motorsports out. And, you know, this is the same storyline sort of as last year. They were on this early season high, but then COVID hit. And then, you know, midseason wasn't able to put together the finishes that I think this team was looking for, especially after uh, a great couple of races to start the season in 2020. And we kind of have that same indication here. So this race at Phoenix was really, for me, going to be that ultimate deciding factor, whether or not Hendrick Motorsports was officially back. And with Hendrick Motorsports on the rise, we talked about this last week. Stuart Haas Racing, where the hell has this team been, right? They've been slipping. Well, this is a perfect opportunity 
for them to get back on track. Kevin Harvick, this is this this is his guy's backyard. Nine wins, 15 straight top 10 finishes at Phoenix heading into Sunday. And you look at guys like Eric Almirola, Cole Custer, Chase Briscoe, who, for lack of a better term, have been irrelevant for the type of equipment that they're in. I mean, Jesus. But they really needed to find something this weekend uh, to be able to show that Stuart Haas Racing, you know, still is a top caliber team. Uh, a lot of changes being made, but right now Kevin Harvick is kind of on an island of his own there at SHR. So, you know, were we going to get any indication of something promising from these other three SHR drivers, primarily Eric Almirola, uh, you know, because Cole Custer, Chase Briscoe are young. Eric Almirola, a veteran now. So really, really was looking to see how this team would fare with all that in consideration. And, you know, for the most part, this race really was not terribly eventful. You know, we've been spoiled with incredible racing to start 2021. And not to say that the racing here at Phoenix was bad. It just definitely was more uneventful than most. The restarts obviously are insane. We saw guys cut the cut the dog leg as close as I've ever seen. Brad Keselowski, I mean, on the first the green on, on the first lap when the green flag flew. He, he went all the way down to the wall. So we really see guys push, push the issue on that dogleg to really make make up some time, make up some positions on those restarts. Uh, but for the most part, the race was not terribly eventful. It was drawn out. Uh, Team Penske dominated for the most part. Uh, they swept the stages with Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano winning each stage respectively. And we did have some varying st- strategy uh, throughout the race, we had some split decisions with some cautions that 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 happened on pit road. Guys taking tires, some guys not. Stage two is where things started to get a little more interesting. We did have that uh, caution with Cody Ware and Anthony Alfredo. No idea what the hell that was all about, man. It just looked like Cody Ware straight up dumped the kid. I don't know if Alfredo got into Ware earlier on. There really was. I was trying to find the cameras, camera angles to see if it would have indicated anything. Uh, but it really just seemed like it was unnecessary. But if a tire went down, you know, it's unfortunate. But Cody Ware was carrying a ton of speed heading into that corner and just straight up dumped Anthony Alfredo. Don't know what that was all about, but it's not worth just talking about uh, anyway. But we did see some strategy game. Corey LaJoy, nice to see that guy up front lead some laps in that number seven Spire Motorsports machine. Uh, But we saw Hendrick Motorsports really starting to find their footing in stage two but we also saw a lot of pit road penalties there were an absurd amount of pit road penalties speeding penalties Kyle Larson had two on pit road and two separate sections but somehow somehow he was able to able to fight his way back and drive through the field on three separate occasions which obviously just echoes the fact that Hendrick Motorsports and the speed that they have brought early on this year but definitely a little more shaky in stage two and then stage three I mean, you know, mellow mellow for the most part. Uh, we did get some cautions, did allow for some strategy. We saw Bubba Wallace drive through the field. We'll talk about Bubba Wallace and the decision that that team made uh, in, a, in a little bit. Uh, but there were a few cautions. Kyle Busch also uh, was in there and had a, had a tough day. Kyle Busch was my pick to win before the race, and he just was never there. That team was never there, and unfortunately... Uh, had a had a pit road penalty, an uncontrolled tire, I believe, got a caught a lap down, wasn't able to uh, fight his way back. But nonetheless, Martin Truex Jr. is your winner, his first win at Phoenix uh, in his career, and becomes the fifth different winner of 2021. And I want to talk about Martin Truex Jr. specifically for a moment because 
I think this race proved that Martin Truex Jr. needs more respect. And the reason why I say that is because I point to his post-race interview that he did this past weekend, and it was very humbling in a sense. You know, a lot of people criticize Martin Truex Jr. Uh, for being a complainer on the radio and for whining a lot, but I don't know if people really realize just how good of a driver Martin Truex Jr. is and just how much this guy has been through, how much adversity he's faced in his entire career. Here's a guy whose team shut down the year after winning the friggin' championship because nobody would sponsor him. Here's a guy who lost his uh, race-winning crew chief, Cole Pern. I mean, the pair has been historically one of the best. They won so many races together in such a short period of time. Lost Cole Pern to a shocking retirement a few years ago. And above all else, here's a guy who was stripped of his sponsorship and his ride after the scandal with Michael Walter racing years ago. So Martin Truex Jr. on the track has faced a lot of adversity. And with that, even off the track, his longtime girlfriend, Sherry Pollux, has been ba- battling ovarian cancer uh, for, for a while now. So Martin Truex Jr. has faced a lot of adversity in his career, both on the track and off the track. And I mean, this guy's won 25 races in the past six years. And a lot of that is attributed to the success, obviously, with Cole Pern. And now, you know, only won one race last year with James Small. And I think that, you know, that year last year, a seventh place finish in the standings, you know, after finishing runner up the past two years in the standings, you know, I think that that had, that carried a lot of weight on Martin Truex Jr. through the offseason. And, you know, I think that this win here at Phoenix is just that weight lifted off this team's shoulders. It's the it's an early seat an early season win uh, with James Small. It's on Phoenix of all tracks. So the confidence that Martin Truex Jr. has to be feeling right now and this team has to be feeling right now. I mean, this 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 team this this car looked like a 15th place car in Stage One in the beginning of this race. And and Martin Truex Jr. was able to put down some fast laps. They were able to fine tune that car, dial it in, and he was up there up front and ultimately came away with the win. So it really, really has to be a confidence booster for Martin Truex Jr. Um, but I've always been I've always been a Truex fan. I like the guy. He's from my home state of New Jersey. Got to start with Dale Earnhardt Jr. back in 2004. So I've always been a fan of Truex, and I've always looked beyond, you know, the complaining and, and whatever. I mean, look, drivers are going to complain. You know, give me a break. <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are worse things. But uh, Martin Truex Jr., I think, you know, this win... Uh, judging by his post-race comments, I mean, the guy almost broke down uh, in his interview. So I think that Martin Truex Jr. deserves more respect. And I think just understanding everything that's happened in his career and how much weight I think that has carried to him, you know, could this be the spark that he needs to possibly get back into championship form, especially with crew chief James Small? You know, with a lot of people had that team under a microscope last year with... Uh, with new driver crew chief pairing, but you know, great to see this team, especially with Joe Gibbs Racing getting the first win for Joe Gibbs or the second win for Joe Gibbs Racing. We think about forget about Christopher Bell. My God, the kid won Daytona, <laughs> kid won the Daytona Road Course. That's just how unorthodox this season has been, man. Uh, but Martin Truex Jr., great to see him back in victory lane, and I just think that this guy needs more respect, uh, just judged up based on everything that that we have seen from him and. You know, just think he needs more appreciate, more of an appreciation for how good of a driver he is, uh, and how good of a driver he's been in such a short amount of time. Now I want to look at 
uh, one of the biggest controversial decisions made from this race, and that's obviously with 2311 Racing. And all I got to ask is, what the hell was Mike Wheeler thinking atop the pit box there at that caution? Why would you stay out there, man? First off, this was by far 2311 Racing's best performance. I mean, this team was running top 15 most of the day, but late in the race was able to drive themselves up to the top 10, and Bubba Wallace showed incredible speed, like speed where I put down what I put put down what I was doing and really really focused on this team because I was like, "Holy smokes, you know, this is what this team is capable of when they put together a full race." So this team has a lot of expectations, obviously. I have been very tough on 2311 racing. But when your driver says that the bare minimum of races he has to win this year is two, you better live up to that expectation. And they haven't been able to finish races early on this year. So we were able to get a sense of what this team is made of and what kind of speed they can carry You know, when they put together a full race. But when the second-to-last caution came out, Mike Wheeler made the decision to stay out with seven laps on their tires, only seven laps, but the entire field came into pit for four fresh good years. And I'll read Mike Wheeler's tweet here because he posted on Twitter uh, regarding the decision to stay out. And basically it reads, uh, why we stayed out, seven laps on tires, newest of anyone, P10 of 22 cars on the lead lap. Earlier in race with similar position, it was split who pitted versus who stayed, and no one on tires drove to the lead. We were on the same page to stay. It didn't work, and yes, my head hurts. So obviously Mike Wheeler, you know, judging on what occurred earlier in the race, because there was split decisions with uh, drivers that decided to take tires, drivers that decided to stay out, but unfortunately... You know, when you're the only driver that stays out, doesn't matter how old your tires are. They could be five laps, could be 10 laps. I mean, they could be nothing. You know, you are a sit-in duck starting on that restart and not having the help behind you because, you know, more than likely you have a better chance of spinning your tires, which would, which is what Bubba Wallace did and caught himself in a vulnerable position. And they finished 16th, and that's all they got out of it. So I just don't understand the decision. Um... You know, if it were me, four fresh good years at that point in the race with the amount of laps left, you know, you would rather see your driver on the level playing field with those guys. Put your trust in your driver. If you believe in the speed of the car, which obviously it had, definitely showed. I mean, Bubba Wallace was passing Kevin Harvick and others, you know, without much effort. So put the trust in your driver right then and there. Give him what he needs and let him fight it out because Bubba Wallace could have was probably going to finish top 10, probably had a chance at a top five, and who knows how the race could have shaked up, you know, if that did happen uh, and where they could have finished. Could have been a very, very valuable day for them. But, you know, unfortunately, as a crew chief, you make these split-second decisions, and sometimes, you know, you're just on you're just on the bad end of it. But nonetheless, it was definitely encouraging to see this team run up front. And let me tell you, it was definitely encouraging seeing finally – the highly anticipated McDonald's scheme because these McDonald's schemes as of late have been bland. I mean, they have not been as juicy as a Big Mac or a double quarter pounder, if you know what I mean. But nonetheless, I mean, the one that 2311 Racing brought to the track was gorgeous. So all credit to them for getting the paint scheme right over there. <laughs> but it was encouraging to see this team run up front. And, you know, I'm rooting for this team. I've said it. It doesn't, I, I know I've been tough on them and, 
you know, rightly so, because there's a lot of expectation here, but I'm rooting for them. And hopefully, you know, they can use this down the road heading into Atlanta and the upcoming weeks uh, heading into the season. But with that said, let's now take a look at some of the remaining finishers here from Phoenix. It was Martin Truex Jr. up there at the top, but I have to talk about Team Penske, man. Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, and Ryan Blaney even. Team Penske has to be so encouraged with what they saw out of their three cars here this past weekend. Because, you know, under the impression that we're we are going to see a Penske driver in the championship four, there's, a I think, a very good opportunity for that. Uh, these guys were very, very strong. Joey Logano was extremely fast. Brad Keselowski was a top five car basically all day. Ryan Blaney hovering around the top ten. One stage one, you know, was very, very strong as well. So Team Penske, I think, won the weekend. They were by far the best team out there on the track. But you got to give credit to some of these other guys. I got to shout out Kevin Harvick, who did salvage a sixth-place finish. Uh, so good to see him. And also his other Stuart Haas racing teammates. Eric Almirola was able to uh, drive up for an 11th-place finish. And he was hovering around the top 10 late in the race. So an encouraging sign for that 10-team. Good to see him there. So Stuart Haas able to find their footing just a little bit. But let me tell you, man, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Hendrick Motorsports is back. Absolutely, because Chase Elliott was able to drive himself up there. Kyle Larson, as as mentioned, I mean, if you tuned into the race, and I talked about this with Noah, you probably didn't even realize Kyle Larson uh, had to start at the back on three separate occasions because it just seemed like he was up front all day. And goes to show the speed of this team. Uh, William Byron in there as well, able to drive up through the field in eighth place finish. Christopher Bell, solid top ten. And I need to shout out Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for a second because this team, J JTG Doherty, uh, looks good. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has been hovering around the top 10 these past few weeks. And, you know, as mentioned, they have Hendrick equipment. They're using Hendrick engines with the speed that Hendrick Motorsports has brought to these tracks in the early stages of this year. It's not shocking that JTG Doherty Racing is kind of showing similar speed. So, Watch out for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. because, you know, you never know what can happen. Alex Bowman, a 13th place finish. Got to talk about Alex Bowman because, you know, he was the only Hendrick Motorsports driver that did not have to start at the back, but early in the race in stage one got tagged by Austin Dillon. It was not necessarily Dillon's fault. It was more so an accordion effect. Uh, but Alex Bowman got a little bit of damage and was able to salvage a 13th place finish. So it shows the resilience of, the, of this team and some of these guys, especially some of the guys that you know, got caught on pit road with those penalties and had to drive their way back up. Uh, but good to see Alex Bowman get a top 15 because, you know, Alex Bowman has definitely been the weakest of the Hendrick Motorsports crew. And I mean, he's got the biggest shoes to fill. He's, he's, he's driving the fame 48. So, you know, will we see this team maybe start to find some of their footing heading into uh, the next couple of weeks? We'll have to see because Hendrick Motorsports is uh William Byron, Kyle Larson have William Byron and Kyle Larson have been the story at Hendrick Motorsports to start the year. So Chase Elliott now top five. See if he can carry the momentum. Alex Bowman's gonna have to do the same thing uh, if he wants to stay as relevant as these other guys because William Byron, Kyle Larson, they look good. They look really good. Matt Benedetto solid top fifteen finish. And we talked about Bubba Wallace as well with a 16th finish. Eric Jones, I'll also briefly discuss 20th 
place finish. He is uh, definitely elevating that 43 team. You know, Eric Jones is a very, very talented driver, and we've seen he's been able to take that 43 team and, you know, run top 10, run top 12, and, you know, 20th place finish, top 20 is what this team is going to need in the future. Kyle Busch, we talked about 25th place, uh, just wasn't able to, wasn't ever able to get it. I, as I mentioned, I picked him to win. Um, just never really had the speed from the start and just got caught a lap down and wasn't able, wasn't able to get it back. So those are some of your top. Oh, I got to talk about one, one more Tyler Reddick, man, 29th Tyler Reddick, who ran well at Phoenix last year, uh, after he had, I don't know if it was mechanical or or a crash. I can't quite remember, but he ran well, thought he was going to have a pretty solid day, but again, wasn't able to really do much. And, uh, Got caught, got caught in, in a scuffle or two. But those are some of your top finishers from Phoenix. And I have to congratulate this week's winner of the Hard Charging Award, Mr. Alex Bowman it is. And we're tweaking the Hard Charging Award because I know I was doing the driver that lays down the most fastest laps, but, you know, Hard Charging, we got to get these guys that, get, that, that drive through the field because Alex Bowman, 146 green flag passes at Phoenix this weekend to salvage a 13th place finish. He is the winner of this week's hard charging award, and that's how we're going to give it out uh, in the future now. The driver who uh, passes the most cars in the race, Alex Bowman, 146 green flag passes. Uh, pretty, pretty good stuff there. So good job to Alex Bowman. And now let's debrief on some of the news that has come out in the NASCAR world with this week's edition of box top stories. NASCAR and teams are continuing to analyze the prospective idea of moving car numbers from the center of the door as soon as next season, per Adam Stern of the Sports Business Journal. Now, NASCAR, finally, we got one thing, one thing that fans can unite on, and it's the one thing that you have got to continue to try and drill down and change. And honestly, dude, it just seems so insignificant at this point compared to other things that, you know, need to be talked about, need to be talked about, and need to be tweaked, i.e. the playoffs, for example. Just the thought. Uh, but I went back and reviewed all the paint schemes from this past weekend because it got me thinking, you know, un- unsure of what exactly NASCAR plans on doing with the number, whether it's just sliding it, sliding it back just a tad, putting it on the quarter panel, whatever the case may be. I went back and reviewed all the paint schemes from this past weekend, uh, and none have you, none really do a good job of utilizing sponsorship anywhere in the empty space on the door panel next to the number. The only one that I really saw could that really does it is Martin Truex Jr. with Tracker Boats. I mean, contingency sponsorship, extra sponsorship, whatever the case may be, you know, doesn't necessarily seem like it's in the best spot at the moment, you know, because Drivers and teams aren't using this space to begin with with the, with with the number in the middle of the door panel. I mean, is that the biggest problem? I mean, are there, are there developmental ideas with this thing? I don't know. It just seems so insignificant right now compared to other things that I think need to be talked about. But I want you to ask yourself these questions. What's the first thing you associate with Dale Earnhardt? For me, it's the three, right? That's the first thing I think of. What's the first thing you associate with Jeff Gordon? Well, to me, it's the 24. It's the Rainbow Warrior, but more specifically, the 24. When people see the 24, they think of Jeff Gordon. When people see the three, they think of Dale Earnhardt. What's the first thing that you associate with Bill Elliott, Chase Elliott, the nine? 
When you see the nine, when people see the nine, what do you think they what do you think they think of first? Chase Elliott. When you see Napa, is the first thing that you think of Chase Elliott? Probably not. Sponsors are important. And, you know, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. I mean, I'm not saying I'm against this. I just personally think that there are more important things to talk about. But, you know, maybe it is a blessing in disguise. Maybe the market's looking up and NASCAR is going to open the floodgates to sponsorship just because of this one decision. You know, maybe this is a huge thing for sponsors to be able to work with race teams and obviously, you know, support them more. I mean, sponsorship is everything in NASCAR. I'm not trying to diminish its importance because this is a sponsorship-driven league. You know, this this is why these athletes have jobs. I mean, so I'm not trying to diminish any of that. It's just this is the type of thing that is going to grind fans' gears. And we've already seen it happen. Last year, when NASCAR announced that the next-gen car was going to feature one lug nut, fans were up in arms. I'm going to boycott NASCAR. Cars aren't stock anymore. I really believe that if numbers are... If, the, if, this, is, if this is carried out and the numbers are moved, I really believe that you will see fans boycott the sport and not watch. You know, so... All the power to them. Let let them do that. That's 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 their decision. You know, I wasn't against the one lug nut rule. I'm not against this now. At the end of the day, if it benefits the growth of the sport, hey, let them do it. I'm all for benefiting the growth of the sport and allowing more opportunity for drivers and companies to invest uh, because that's most important. And that's what's going to keep this sport afloat. You know, and maybe teams can get creative. Uh, with with the design or something like that you know but right now in the grand scheme of things I just believe that there are more issues that need to be discussed as I mentioned the playoffs I think needs to get an overhaul NASCAR has been talking about you know drivers intentionally bringing out cautions that needs to be looked at the double yellow line rule I'm sure is going to is going to come into play down the line this season as it did last year you know so those are just a few things that you know per rules and regulations need to be talked about not you know from a design visual standpoint. So for me, that's where I'm at with that situation. But NASCAR feels compelled to do so uh, to really make this change. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but, you know, just seems in- insignificant at this point. Now moving to some driver news. Austin Sindrick will be running the Cup Series race this upcoming weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Team Penske announced on Monday morning. Another great opportunity for Mr. Austin Sindrick. He's coming off a win at Phoenix Raceway this past weekend in the Xfinity Series. He's obviously locked into Wood Brothers Racing in 2022. But I'll tell you, Matt Benedetto does not want to see Austin Sindrick on the track. And Benedetto needs to tune out all this stuff because we've talked about him. And he's in a very vulnerable position right now, uh, trying to put himself in a good position to make the playoffs, put that team in a good position to win. Does not have a job next year. Austin Sindrick's taking that job. So, Matt Benedetto, you know, it's just more noise that does not benefit what he's doing. You know, the fact that he's going to be seeing Austin Sindrick on track probably gets in his head a little bit. Just got to tune all that stuff out because right now you got to fight for yourself. You got to do what you do best, and that's drive. And so, you know, it's a great opportunity for Austin Sindrick, I'm sure. I'm sure Wood Brothers Racing is going to be looking at his performance as well and see what he's able to do. Because we saw him on a road course, now going to be able to see him on a mile and a half, uh, driving Penske affiliate equipment. So, 
you know, we'll see. We'll see, but it's just extra noise that does not benefit Mr. Matt Benedetto at all at this point. But, hey, we'll see. It's a great opportunity for Sindrick. Obviously, an incredibly talented driver. And heading up to the Cup Series next year is really going to be able to get give us some inklings of what this kid could be made of in the future. But now looking ahead to next week, we head to Atlanta Motor Speedway. Tune into the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 this Sunday with coverage beginning at 2.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. It's going to be a great race. Atlanta, one of my favorite tracks. We're heading there twice this year, uh, so should be a lot of fun. And remember, it's a big weekend. This is the 20-year anniversary since Kevin Harvick's historic win uh, for Richard Childress racing at Atlanta 20 years ago after Dale Earnhardt's death. So what a moment it would be if Kevin Harvick is able to uh, come full circle win this race once again 20 years later. But we will see. Really looking forward to it. That's going to do it for me. I thank you all so much for tuning into Episode 5 of Hard Charge, and I really, really appreciate the support and would love to hear your thoughts on this episode on Twitter. We're talking NASCAR on the daily over there, so the link to that as well as the YouTube channel, all the links to my social media accounts, anywhere you can find me or you want to connect, is in the description of this episode and every episode. Be sure to check out all the content we've got released for the Hard Charger brand. I'm super, super stoked about it. Now, to close the show, as you guys know, we do some motivation. And, you know, this is the hard charging brand. It's more than a NASCAR podcast. It's about living your best life. And so I've decided that for the month of March, and we talked, I talked about this last week with International Women's Day, we're going to be highlighting a woman in NASCAR from Women's Appreciation Month every Tuesday throughout the month of March. And I want to highlight specifically today, talked about her briefly last week, Brianna Daniels. Daniels is the first female African-American tire changer in the NASCAR Cup Series, a graduate of the Drive for Diversity program in 2016. You know, to me, she really embodies what it means to be hard charging through life. I mean, her tenacity, her courage, her strength is so admired, and she continues to serve as an ambassador for the sport, inspiring all these young athletes around the country to do what she does best. And man, that is badass. So Brianna Daniels, Brianna Daniels, if if by some way you you come across this, I would love to get you on the show and discuss your story because I really feel you you embody what we are trying to do here at Hard Charge. And so, Brianna Daniels, if you're listening, I'm talking to you. Let's get you on the show. I really, really would love to have a conversation discussing your story and how you are trailblazing the industry. But that's a conversation for another time. Above all else, ladies and gentlemen, keep your foot to the floor. Leave the BS out the door, and I will see you later this week. I hope you all have a great rest of your week. Uh, Enjoy the race this weekend and also have to give a final thank you to Noah C. Cornelius for appearing on the show, being our first guest. Really looking forward to see what we could do here with Hard Charging in the future. So I appreciate the support. I will talk to you next week. This is Mike Bachman signing off. We'll be right back.